This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. The Secret Library podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pretty by Post, a gorgeous subscription service of indie greeting cards or stationery. Visit prettybypost.com slash bookdoctor, that's book D-R, to learn how you can get free shipping off the lifetime of your subscription, which is a really amazing deal. Welcome to episode 35 of the Secret Library podcast, where we talk about where the books come from and how to write yours. My guest this week is Amy Koretsky, and she's a health coach, acupuncturist, herbalist, cyclist, paleo foodie, and dog lover, along with being a writer. She coaches creative entrepreneurs to be their healthiest selves and to tap into the energy that is the source of everything creative writers do. Her holistic guidance and support is around the areas of body, spirit, and health. And she's all about making a deeper change in your well-being as a whole being. And what she's really known for is helping type A people find their own personal brand of balance in order to stay sane and healthy. She loves working with creative professionals who struggle with anxiety and the terrible pit in your gut feeling that stems from the weight of deadlines and expectations. So... I had Amy on because I wanted to talk about sustaining the goals that we all set for ourselves. And those of us who are writers have lots of words banging around in our heads. And it felt like it was time to think about staying healthy as a writer because we really want to debunk the myth that you have to be a tortured artist. Um, I'm really about getting over that. And seeing as we're coming to the end of January, it seems like a really good time to get into how to stay healthy and support your goals, and particular practices that Amy uses in order to support writing. So we go through the mind, body, and spirit of being a healthy, happy, and productive writer. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. It's something a little different, but I was really pumped and ready to get down and plow away at my writing after after this conversation. So listen up and enjoy. Hey, Amy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm really pumped about this because I think we all start the new year with huge intentions like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write 25 books and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a thousand pushups a day and I'm going to do all this stuff. And then we're freaking exhausted by the end of January. And so here we are getting to the end of January. And I'm glad that you're on because I want to talk about how we can sustain that momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Momentum is key. Yes. Tell me about tell me about your thoughts on momentum, because I think we all want it. Well, my thing with momentum is like, if you think about rolling, like I live in Minnesota, it's winter time. If you think about starting a snowball and like rolling it down the hill and it starts small and then it can get bigger and bigger and faster and faster. You don't start with this like huge, gigantic snowball. You start small and you like build onto it and the bigger it gets, like the more momentum it gets as it's going down the hill. And so I feel like the same is true with anything. It's easier to actually start really small and practical. And then that gives you the confidence to increase and increase and increase and increase, which actually builds your momentum and builds your confidence. Instead of so often, like the beginning of the new year, we're like, bang, I'm going to do this huge, big thing. And it's like, kind of impractical and we have momentum to do it for a little bit but then we lose confidence because we aren't maybe reaching our like weekly goals around it and then we actually like slow down so I guess that's my idea it's it's analogy with the snowball (laughs) I like snow you're definitely in the snow country we're in the we're in the deluge out here but 
I think that's really important because I'm thinking of the kinds of goals that people are pursuing right now. And I think you start the new year and say, like I did, this is the year I'm going to write that damn book. And you think of the book as a giant thing versus a number of times that you're sitting down. And so if somebody has a big project idea, like writing a book or even writing an article or starting a blog or just building a writing life, like people do who listen to the show, how do you encourage them to take care of themselves? Because one of the things I think that gets in the way is that we're all super busy. We all have jobs. We all have these things and we're trying to, nobody's going to quit their job just to become a writer with, you know, and give up the job because unless you win the lottery, in which case go for it. But (laughs) how do you deal with the fact that you may feel you need more energy than you had before in order to pursue this additional goal? I think that depends upon how, what your timeline is for the goal. You know, and if you get really ambitious and have this really fast paced timeline, then sometimes, you know, I don't think that there is such a thing as balance all the time. You know, there's this idea of balance and it's this mythical unicorn that lives out in fairyland and we have to like strive to find it. But that's not really the case. Like for me personally, my brand of balance is when I'm really passionate about a project, I will go hard on it. Like for I'll, I'll work really hard. I'll maybe put in nights and weekends that I don't usually do. And that'll be for a short amount of time because this is like I see the light at the end of the tunnel or like there is a, a specific measurable goal that I'm achieving. And then I balance that out with like a nice vacation or I will like really let my schedule have a lot of like blank space in it after that. Um, my brand of balance isn't the type where I'm always working from this hour to this hour. And I always make sure to have like these days off or this or that or the other thing. And so it really depends upon the person. You know, my biggest belief when it comes to health, and this doesn't matter who it's for, what they're striving for, what their goals are. But my biggest belief when it comes to health is that there's no one size fits all. We all have our own ways that work best for us. Just like there's no one size fits all way to write a novel or to complete, you know, that big project. There there might be formulas that work for some people. There might be formulas that work for another person. But you can't just say um, this overarching grand, this is the prescription for everyone. And especially in health, that's part of the reason why our Western health centers aren't are failing us to a certain extent with these long chronic diseases is because there's not just one size fits all diet for everyone. And there's not one size fits all pill that fixes everything or, you know, all diabetes or all obesity or all any one big thing, you know, everybody needs to be treated in a very unique and customized way. And the same goes for self care. Um, That is really my biggest, biggest belief with self care is you have to find self care that works for you. Absolutely. I think the other piece too that you're going up against as a creative person is that there is this history of associating a creative life with an unhealthy life. Like, Oh, if I'm painful, or painful, tortured life. Exactly. Like you think about like Fitzgerald's, they're all drinking or Hemingway is miserable and, and all of these things. And you're always drinking tons and tons of coffee. That's one thing that's coming up. And I'm thinking of like coffee and cigarettes and all this sort of stuff that's associated with being quote, a real writer. And I would love to hear some of yours, because I know you have this amazing coffee alternative that you talked (laughs) about. I'm super curious about it, but also ways that you can still tap into the kind of, I don't know, I like to wear a lot of black when I'm working on creative stuff and get into that, but to be healthy and also to be able to tap into the creative collective, I guess. 
So that actually makes me think of something really interesting. And I will absolutely touch on the cough, the uncoffee and all that <laughs> stuff. But um, so this idea of the tortured artist, the starving artist, the, you know, angst filled writer, they all are stories that we tell ourselves. You know, as being a storyteller, we're telling stories to other people. But don't forget, we're telling stories to ourselves too. And those stories that we tell ourselves can be really empowering or they can be really limiting. And so to really think back and ask yourself, well, what are the stories that I'm telling myself that are keeping me locked into this small square box when maybe I'm a big bright rainbow that doesn't fit in the box or whatever? Like, you know, from my own personal experience, it was only very recently that I even started to call myself a writer because growing up, I hated writing. Like I would, as a high schooler, junior high, college, any of those things, much rather taken a test than write an essay paper. Like a hundred times over, I would have rather taken a test. And it really wasn't until the last couple years of my life that I realized, no, not only do I actually enjoy writing, but I'm actually really good at it. And I am a writer, but it's because I'm writing things that are I'm passionate about, that I believe in, that I actually want to write about and not being um, – you know, it's, it's not an assignment or anything like that. But for so many years, I was telling myself the story that I told myself was I'm not a writer. I'm not good at writing. Like, why would I ever start a blog? I'm a terrible writer. And then I realized that that was actually keeping me really small and limited. And so I feel like the same goes true for quote unquote, unhealthy habits around creativity. Because maybe that's Maybe you're doing these things because that's the story that you're telling yourself. Like in order to get through this writer's block, I need to, you know, have a terrible love life that ends in horrible runes and sit at the coffee shop, chain smoking cigarettes. Well, is that is that actually true or is that a story you're telling yourself? So I think that going beyond this idea of just trying to replace something that's unhealthy with something that is, quote unquote, healthier, but kind of keeps that same storyline the same, maybe consider actually changing the story that we're telling ourselves, which then opens up a whole world of possibility. Yeah, I, th I, I think that's huge. Because yes, we tell, each, tell ourselves and each other stories about what's possible. And we also conflate certain experiences and certain life circumstances with what happens. And we have a tendency to think, oh, I did really well writing this. This story went really well, or this essay, or this article, or this blog post. And this happened to be going on at the same time. So therefore, those two things have to be going on at the same time, all the time. I think about like yeah. lucky socks in sports. You know, people who are like, <laughs> I got to wear these stinky socks. And if I wash them, we're going to lose the game. And how we tell those stories. And I think sometimes the stories we have about who we have to be as an artist, like, oh, if I'm not depressed, I'm not going to be in touch with who I really am or other storylines that can come up. Yeah. So really thinking about like, where did that story originate for you? Like, how is it limiting you? How can you rewrite your own story? And how can you be in charge of that story? Basically, it makes me think of Byron Katie. Oh, absolutely. That like, is it true? Yeah, that is a true man. I come back to that all the time. And not only is it true, but like, is it absolutely is true? It like, really, can you 100% know that's true? I feel like she must know a bunch of lawyers. We'll put a link to Byron <laughs> Katie's site. I have a lot of friends who are lawyers. They're like human rights lawyers. And I feel like there is that like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, is that true? 
And it's so helpful. I actually, so on my podcast that I'm recording right now for this upcoming season, which is all about self-care, the entire um, six episode season is all about self-care for creatives. But I have a whole episode that really focuses on Byron Katie and that whole idea. So I love that you brought that up right now. (laughs) I know we did not talk about this in advance, everybody. This is just (laughs) synchronicity in action. Yeah, because it's true. Your, your plot line in your stories is just the same as the plot line that you're describing in your life. Yeah. Yes. I love that. It's so true. And you're, you know, as the writer, you have creative autonomy. And in your life, you have creative autonomy. It's not this or that either or. It's all the time. And you don't have to suffer to tell a good story, even if it's a tough story. No, yeah. So there are some really great books out there um, that that tell stories in very human, very empathetic ways that are not self-deprecating and are not – I mean self-deprecating is just a huge thing right there. They're telling it from a very like loving perspective and they can be difficult um, storylines to tell, but they are doing it with love and compassion. I think also that there's a whole piece now about vulnerability and – how you can take good care of yourself so that you're in good shape and can handle how vulnerable you have to be in order to put work out there, whether that's memoir or not. Even fiction, people are always asking fiction writers, so how much of this is based on your real life? Like you can't escape it, even if it's like, is this character you? You know, is that your, <laughs> is that your significant other? Like, I feel like that's always there. So how can people take care of themselves in order to make space for that vulnerability? That's a great question. Okay, well, so when it comes to self-care... Let's just kind of define self-care here for a second, because I feel like the typical definition of self-care is this idea of like, oh, de-stress, go take a bubble bath or get a massage every once in a while or like eat healthy food and work out. And that's great. Those are all wonderful things to do. But I feel like that's just scratching the surface about what self-care is. And I feel very passionately that self-care is um, it's a couple of things. It is very consistent and very intentional care of the mind, body, and spirit. So a couple of things of importance there is that consistency. I think that consistency is key when it comes to self-care because it's one thing to take a bubble bath here and there or go to a spa and get a massage or whatever. Those are very relaxing things, but they always tend to occur after we've hit our boiling points. And that's not really self-care. That's reactionary care. And self-care is that preventative and intentional consistency part where we're adding certain rituals into our day-to-day life that we know recharge our batteries, refuel us, nurture us, nurture our spirits, our minds, our bodies, so that we have stronger protection around us both physically, energetically, emotionally to go through life without getting as many scratches and dents in us. What was the original question? <laughs> I think how people can take care of themselves in order to handle vulnerability, which okay, I, think so, you're, I think you're answering. Yeah. I mean, I really do think that it is intentional and repetitive, small rituals that increase our self-confidence, increase not just self-confidence in this way of like, oh, they're what I say they're going to like, but self-confidence is like, I know who I am and I stand firm in my beliefs and I'm owning my truth. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because I know myself and that's what's most important. 
Another concept I've been playing with, and I think you're really speaking to it by all of this coming up in this conversation, is that for many people, and myself included, I think I'm guilty of putting self-care in a solely physical category. Like, yes. Like you're saying, like working out, eating good food, drinking enough water, like those are all very physical activities. But when we think about things like, okay, what am I reading? What am I watching? What am I, how am I spending my time? Who am I hanging out with? Like what kind of communities am I building? Like those are all part of the conversation too. Well, cause self-care is all about this idea between inputs and outputs and making sure that we're like putting in more than we're taking out from us. You know, like everything we do takes energy. And so we're like giving, giving, giving all the time, but we have to make sure that we're like putting in more than we're giving out in order to like for the math to basically balance out and like have us in the positive. And so if you think about all these inputs all day long, yes, there's food. Yes, there's physical activity. You know, yes, there's mindfulness. But there's also like, yeah, the books that we're reading, the podcasts we're listening to, the Netflix we're binging on, the people that we're surrounding ourselves with, the news channels that we're taking in. Like there's all this noise and distraction out there not even talking about the noise that we are bringing in our heads, like our internal voices, which is like another source of noise. So really like quieting that noise and and culling what doesn't need to be there, really getting very Marie Kondo style on all of our inputs so that, you know, self-care isn't just like adding more stuff. It's not just like, oh, and you have to do this and you have to do this and let's add another thing on there. Self-care can also be like, taking away things, like taking away the things that aren't serving you anymore, taking maybe the events or the um, things, your requirements or obligations in your schedule that aren't serving you anymore, or the people in your life that might maybe aren't serving you anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be like you were talking about a fundamental identity shift to say, okay, I'm a creative person. I'm pursuing creative work and it may not be your main thing, but it's a significant part of your life, or it may be your main thing, who knows. But I think it is important to think about, okay, what is this whole 360 degree view of what that life looks like surrounding this activity so that it is sustainable? Yeah. And well, and even just going back a minute to like what you said of like, how do you prepare yourself for this like vulnerability and whatnot? Um, I really do believe that meditation is something that is for everyone. Um, and another one of my like fundamental beliefs about healthcare and self-care is that there's no such thing as saying that you can't meditate. Like if someone says like, oh, I've tried meditating, I can't meditate, I call bullshit on that because it's total bullshit. Like there's usually when people say that, it's because they don't see themselves or they feel an inability to sit cross-legged with their hands in the little like own position, you know, chanting or closing their eyes and having a complete silence for 20 minutes. And you know what? Like, I can't do that either. That is not the way that I meditate. Like, I don't know. I don't know very many people other than like gurus and people that really have sent their whole life purpose to, you know, meditation and that sort of like mindfulness based techniques that are able to do that. So when I am working with clients in like health coaching or acupuncture to help them feel more grounded and balanced and and to work on turning off that like monkey mind or those voices in the head, it always comes back down to meditation. Um, but everybody meditates differently. Just like everybody self-cares differently, everyone meditates differently. So maybe for some people that's drawing, 
maybe for some people that's going for a run without like a podcast or anything in their ears. Maybe for some people that is taking a bath and that's fine. Maybe for some people that is seated meditation, but with like Headspace, like my absolute favorite app that's like a guided meditation app. Or like there's a zillion different ways to meditate and I could go on and on about them. But I do find, I do think that um, as a creative person, especially as a writer where they do have a lot of inputs and then they have a lot of outputs of like writing and there's always this like voice in their head, whether or not it's their voice or someone else's, um, really trying to quiet down those voices through finding a style of meditation that works for them can be incredibly helpful. I think what you said is huge. Cause I hear this a lot too, as a meditator and someone who talks about it, that People feel like they, quote, can't meditate if they don't get radio silence when they are meditating. And Right. Or that they're doing it wrong. That they're doing it wrong. No, no. The point is to aim for it, but I don't know anyone who ever gets there. I bet. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, maybe the Dalai Lama does, but I mean, after a five-day silent meditation retreat, I got there only for like a second a few times. And I was like, ooh, that's good but yeah. it's not sustainable. Well, I mean, hello, they call it a meditation practice. They don't call it a meditation perfect. Or because, a meditation like, arrival. A, right, exactly. Like you're constantly practicing. Same with yoga. It's a yoga practice because I know people that have been yoga teachers for years and years and years, and they are still practicing and evolving their yoga practice. <laughs> have you seen I Heart Huckabee's? Yeah, but that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I loved it. But it's making me think of that. It's Jason Schwartzman and Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman. And they're these different kind of factions of of kind of awareness. And at one point, they have this method where they're sitting there trying to wake up. And they're, you remember those little hippity hop balls? As a kid, they're like inflatable with handles and you kind of hippity hop around. Of course, no one can see me doing the hippity hop move. (laughs) But um. And they were smacking each other in the face, kind of trying to wake up and snap out of it. And I feel like, yeah, you get a moment and then you go back, but they kept feeling like it's failure. Anyway, if anyone hasn't watched I Heart Huckabees, I love (laughs) I Heart Huckabees and you should watch it. It's very helpful to think about like how your mind ties you up in knots and even talking about that can be a good thing to write about. Yeah, I mean, well, I feel like so many creatives, whether they're writers or artists or whatnot, feel like part of their struggle is that their mind is tying them up in knots and that they're the only one that ever deals with this, which is like so not the case. Like we all deal with this, all of us, all of our minds are tying ourselves up in knots at all points in time. And so you're not alone. No, I think that's why people who write essays like Chelsea Handler, you know, and talk about, oh my God, you know, I'm freaking out. Anyone who shares that and and comes clean about that, has such a response because so many people are so scared to say what it's really like, but it is like that for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We got headspace, we got meditation. This is all really good. I I find it really helps with writing. So that's kind of mind. We've got a little mind going. And then we're going to do mind, body, spirit. Yeah. So we've got mind. So with that said that it's not just body, what do you recommend for the body? Because I mean, we can't throw the body out with the bathwater, so to speak. No. Absolutely. So let's talk about writers specifically, because that's Mm -hmm. who's listening right now. Okay, so for writers, the first thing that always pops into my 
my head is just the positioning. So think about like how we're always very, um, how, what we would call like anteriorly rotated in the medical world, meaning that our shoulders are hunched. We're in that hunched over position, whether it is over a piece of paper with a pen or it's a typewriter or a computer, but we've just got that hunched feeling. And, you know, here's like you and I, we're both like cyclists as well. And so like as a cyclist, we're also like hunched over our handlebars when we're on our bikes. And so we have this constant internal rotation of our shoulders, meaning that our shoulder blades are like winging out and it's shortening our pectoral muscles, which is like the chest muscles. And so the number one thing that I recommend, and this is really for anyone that sits at a computer for an elongated amount of time, is that we have to do chest opening stretches. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Pomodoro technique. Are you familiar with what this I, is? I do like the, but tell us because I don't know okay. what other people know. I forget. It's like named after somebody, <laughs> but it's named after that like tomato timer. The tomato timer. You know? It's so great. But like it was some Italian guy, I think, that came up with this idea. We can find it and put it in the show notes. But yeah. basically um, what it is is that you sit down and you work on a single thing for a chunk of time. And you're very focused in your work for that chunk of time. And the chunk of time traditionally is 25 minutes. Um, people can sometimes vary it. But the idea is that you work for 25 minutes and then you get a five-minute break. And then you work for 25 minutes and then you get a five-minute break. And then I think every like four Pomodoro's you get four. like a, half hour or something or a 20 minute break. So the idea behind that is that that's how I work. I'll set a timer for 25 minutes. I'll sit down. I'll like write maybe a rough draft of, of a blog post or a newsletter or like whatever I'm working on. And then when that timer goes off, I'm not going to like all of a sudden just click out of that and start scrolling on Instagram or anything. I'm getting up. It's I'm getting so out tempting. of my chair. Oh, I know. I get out of my chair and I will stretch or I'll get a glass of water. I'll go to the bathroom or my very favorite thing to do like during my Pomodoro breaks to get my body moving is to put on some like Missy Elliott or Beyonce music videos, especially the ones where it's like not actually them in the music video. It's like those dance studios and I like really try to do that, but I'm, it's not my forte, but I try and it gets my blood moving and my body moving. And so that's like one of my very favorite, like mid afternoon breaks. Um, but yeah, so working with the Pomodoro method, which will really what gives you that, um, that container and that structure to remind you to take breaks. And I yeah. love that. And so, so then, um, I'm going to try to explain this in words, but we might have to like link to a picture of it as well. But basically there are some, um, stretches that you can do for the pec major and pec minor, which are just two muscle groups in the chest. The major is going to be the larger of the two muscles. Pec minor is smaller, but they both do very important things and you stretch them in slightly different ways. And so you don't want to just do one without doing the other, but basically you stand next to a wall with your feet parallel to the wall. So feet pointing in the same direction of the wall, not in a 90 degree, 90 degree angle. So parallel to the wall, um, you know, maybe it's your right leg that is against the wall. You want to then bring your right arm behind you and put it against the wall for that stretch. If you have your palm touching the wall, that is going to be a pec major stretch. And then if you rotate your arm so that your palm is facing upwards and just your pinky finger is against the wall, then you're stretching your pec minor. And trust me, if you are hunched over your computer all the time, you might not actually be able to 
be totally parallel against the wall or like be right up against it. And it might take some time and some practice to actually be able, cause you're going to be really tight in the beginning and you're going to feel this. And so holding either of that stretch for like 30 seconds and doing that maybe a couple times a day during your Pomodoro breaks is one huge thing that you can do to help um, keep you from really getting that hunched over look in your back and shortening of the pec muscles, which often happens with writers. Yeah, we don't want to be all hunched up because you don't want to feel terrible when you're writing. Like if you started this out and said, oh, I'm going to write, then yes, it's true. If you have other hobbies like we do, like cycling or just having a regular job where you sit at a computer, it's more right. time in that position. So you don't want to focus or have the impact of pursuing this goal that you're excited and about leave you feeling terrible. Right. And the thing with the Pomodoro method is like I totally get that sometimes people like get in the zone and like they don't want a timer going off after 25 minutes because then it breaks their concentration. They get out of the zone. But it is so important to get up and stretch. So like you have to figure out what works for you. Like maybe your sweet spot is 45 minutes and maybe setting a timer for 45 minutes works best for you and then take like a full 15 minute break. So like every hour you're working for 45 minutes and then a 15 minute break where you can do some stretching, you can get a glass of water, maybe do some other yoga poses, you know, sitting all the time really shortens our hip flexors. So doing um, some some hip opening exercises and yoga poses would be really great too. So there's I mean, and you can look online on like, you know, YouTube or Google and find so many good stretches for people that work at desks. There are zillions of them out there. But it's just, I think, what's most important is actually remembering to do it. And that's where I love setting the timer. Definitely. There's a great app. I'll link to the one I use that's a Pomodoro timer that you can program in how long your Pomodoros are and how long your breaks are. So yep. yeah, like, like you said, if someone is a 45 minute worker and they don't like to be interrupted after 20, then that's something you can do. And then you'll have the reminder. Yeah. It really, it really does make the world of difference. And also like a little, just like tiny little hack that I like to tell people also is like put a pitcher of water on your desk because just having that water there, instead of having to like get up and go get a glass of water, which trust me, I do think it's a good idea to get up and go get a glass of water sometimes. But um, so often we do forget to drink water over the course of the day. And like if you just have a pitcher of water at your desk, you're going to be a lot more likely um, to remember to drink it. That's so funny. At first, I thought you said a picture of water. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's a good, it feels nice. And like, I thought maybe you were going to say like, it makes you feel like you maybe have to go to the bathroom. So you're going to get up more often. Which I thought <laughs> was like a crazy hypnotism hack. But uh, amazing, <laughs> a pitcher of water is great too. Because then you can put like limes and lemon and ginger and stuff in it. It's tasty. Spa water. Mm, cucumbers. <laughs> Glamour. I love it. So that's awesome for the body. So we sort of talked about I feel like meditation can be a spirit thing or it can be a mind thing. Um, mm -hmm. But let's let's hit the spirit. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to hit the spirit, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I totally know what you mean. So when I think about the differentiation between mind and spirit, there's a couple of things that I think about. One with the mind is like not only is it quieting the mind, but it's also stimulating the mind. So that includes like reading for pleasure and not just reading for work. And so one of the things that I like to do regularly is to read before bed and have that be specifically books for pleasure. So maybe fiction novels or um, books that I just 
that don't have anything to do. Like right now I'm reading a book about tarot, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't use tarot in my work. And yes, it's kind of a resource book, like a reference book, but it's still really interesting and I'm really enjoying reading it. Which book so is that, it? I don't um, know which it book it is. It is one of Rachel Pollock's books. I think oh. it's like 78 Degrees of Wisdom. Yep, I love that one. Yeah. And it's great because it's like each card has its own chapters and they're not super long. So I'm just reading about one card every night before bed, which is a really nice, like short, you know, it's just like 10 minutes or so. Um, but anyway, so you can think about that when it is in the mind realm as all also. And then when you get to the spirit realm, I think about that as things that really fulfill you and give you joy. Mm. So it's not just stimulating your brain, but it's like stimulating your heart. And so you really have to think because everyone's going to be different. Maybe for one person, that's um, prayer. Maybe for another person that is spending time with family or their friends or really recharging their batteries around people that that they care about. Um, one of the ways that I do it is, unsurprisingly, since we just talked about it, is like through tarot. And that's one of the ways that I connect to spirit. And I will incorporate writing into that as well. And so these all do kind of like overlap each other, the mind, body, spirit, but that's okay. Um, so I'll pull tarot cards. I love that you have your, uh, what is it, arcana for writers? Yeah, story arcana. Story arcana for writers, which I think is a great way of getting people interested in really diving deep into questions that are within themselves and like diving deep into those answers. Yeah, I think that's huge because I think – one thing that can happen as you're writing and you start to identify more as a writer, which brings up all kinds of issues that I see with people when we talk about that, like, oh, but I'm not a writer, but you are writing. And it's this whole tension about any creative pursuit. It can happen with painting, it can happen with photography, all of them. But that there is almost a certain amount of pressure that's put on those activities. And it's important to continue to have activities that don't have any performance pressure associated with them. Right, exactly. Things that are just for your own pure joy. Exactly. Yeah. And well, and also that whole idea of like the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, for in order to actually get past that story and to create a new story, that's when connecting to spirit really becomes important because it can, if you've lived your entire life with this one storyline of like, I am not a writer or, I am a starving artist or whatever that is, it can be really hard to just all of a sudden say like, nope, I don't believe that anymore. And just like flip a switch and believe something else. Like that's not how things work. It, there's some processing that has to take place. So maybe that processing is in the form of journaling about it. Maybe it's in the form of pulling cards and meditating on those cards. Maybe it's in the form of doing EFT or another sort of emotional technique that way or talking to a therapist, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can work on spirit to help change that story. Do you find that when people come to you, say with a, with a health condition, that there are belief structures in place that are contributing to that? Because it's really easy to be like, well, I have this health condition. And yeah, maybe I'm stressed out. And, and they're coming to, to work on it from an alternative health perspective or a more natural perspective than traditional medicine. How much do you see like the mind and spirit playing into conditions that people have? I really sort of a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent of the time in the sense that like, 
in a couple of different ways. One, there's that whole idea that there's so many conditions out there now that are exacerbated with stress, which is a complete mind-body connection. Like when our brains are overstimulated or under too much duress, our body doesn't know how to handle it. But then there's this also this concept, there's a couple more, but there's one, next, I'll give you an example. Um, I had a patient recently in my acupuncture clinic who traditionally has some like aches and pains. She's a runner and this and that. And her pains are like in her leg and her shoulder and stuff. And she's going through a really emotional time right now in some family stuff. And she showed up the other day and her neck was totally locked up. And she was like, every time I get overly stressed and things just fall apart, my neck just locks up. Her pain everywhere else in her body was gone. And it was all just in her neck. And of course, she wanted me to put cups and needles on her neck and deal with the neck and yada yada. But after talking about it with her for a minute, it was very obvious that she wasn't feeling that she had the ability nor the support to actually voice her stressors and her, her issues that were going on with her husband and with her family. And so it was this inability to voice her opinions, which come out of your throat, which is in your neck and your throat chakra. And so basically there was a complete blockage in that area of her body. Um, and it was an internal, emotional, spiritual one, but it was manifesting in a very physical way. And so instead of just like putting needles and cups around her neck, we did a total spirit treatment and afterwards she just felt things were much more open and was able to go home and have the conversations that she was really nervous about having. And so there's that whole aspect of it. And then there's a third aspect of it, which is the story again, that storyline of like, I don't want to exactly say like victim mindset, but people will say, like, for instance, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease of the gut. And I was diagnosed in like 2004 now, something like that. It's been a long time. And one of the things that I've been actively trying to do myself over the last handful of years is to stop saying my Crohn's. You know, so often we'll say like, oh, my diabetes or my Crohn's or blah, blah, blah. It's like keeping me from doing this thing. But guess what? It is not mine. I do not own it. It does not own me. It is a thing. It does not define me. It is just a part of things that are going on in my life. And so I really, it's hard. I notice I catch myself doing it all the time is I'll say, oh, um, I, I don't eat this because of my Crohn's. It's like, nope, I'm not eating this right now because I feel better when I don't eat it, you know, just because I have been diagnosed with Crohn's disease. You know, it's a totally shifting the mindset and shifting the way you think about something. So I think there's many layers and aspects about how our minds and our spirit relate to our body. Yeah, I think it's important to to just get that part of the conversation because I think that seeing those examples, then I think people are more able to see, oh, this is how my fear about being a writer might be impacting my health and I don't even realize it. Like, because you're speaking up, you're putting things out there, you're, I noticed recently for myself, I had all this excitement because there was this Wall Street Journal mention um, where I was quoted in it and I completely freaked out and was like, oh, I don't want anyone to see me, my pictures in the thing. Ah, like it was supposed to be a really positive thing and it was something I was excited about. And all of a sudden, all this fear of visibility and exposure came up. And I think that when you're talking about writing, it's very similar to something coming out of your throat and coming out of your mouth. And 
I think you can see all of these ways that your health, maybe that you don't even realize, is conspiring with the story we were talking about at the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, we, so many symptoms I've found in my years of practice in acupuncture um, are manifesting physically because of the emotional body. I see it time and time again. I mean, once again, a lot of times people that come in with um, Hashimoto's or some sort of like thyroid disorder, oftentimes it's because they don't feel the ability to voice their their truth. You know, a lot of times that so, you know, my previous patient I was talking about that manifested in her neck with pain, but sometimes, you know, throat chakra or the inability to voice your truth issues can manifest with thyroid disorders because the thyroid is located in your throat as well. There's a whole book you can heal your life. Oh, um, I'm like, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. But she has like a whole little thing in there about like all literally like an index reference of like, oh, you've got this thing going on. Like think about this possible emotional blockage as being like a source for it. And if you look through them, there are some spot on things. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's a classic, that book. I think this is something that's important for people who are pursuing creative lives to just start paying attention to, like track what's going in your life when you start to feel unwell. I had classic, chronic, chronic, chronic tonsil infections ever since I was a little kid. And I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't feel like it was practical. Like Once again, tonsils Tonsils, in your throat. throat infection, constant throat infections. Finally had them out, felt so much better. But I wonder if I had... It's weird because I was very encouraged. Nobody shut me down on it. I went to writing camps. I did all this stuff. But there was something, I mean, there could be societal stuff, all kinds of stuff, just about increasingly we see how people get nasty comments and get trolled and all kinds of stuff that can bring up fear about writing and putting yourself out there. So it doesn't have to be, you know, I had a terrible childhood. If you look at this stuff, it it could just be your own fear for whatever reason that comes up. But I definitely had this throat thing and I think it was related. Yeah, absolutely. I see that. I see that all the time in my clinic. And it it just is, it baffles me. And it is so exciting and inspiring for me to like see how well Chinese medicine works, not only like in the physical realm, but in the emotional and how they're so connected and how like, they just benefit each other in so many different symbiotic ways. Yeah. So if somebody is wanting to write, and they are writing, what are just like a couple steps you'd recommend that they take now? And I'm not letting you go before we talk about the coffee thing. Oh, yeah, shit. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm not letting that coffee go. But like, what are a couple of things, just simple things for somebody that's new? So we could, we'll link to the stretching. We can talk about, we've got headspace as something you could do for taking care of meditation, if that's a little scary, and journaling. Mm-hmm. But if you just have some, like, if you just tried these couple of things, that would be a good way to start. Well, one of my very favorite things is to like set intentions for the day. Um, And I think that that really helps me personally when I'm writing, because one of the stories that I tell myself in this whole, like, I'm not a writer thing, which I'm removing right now, is that um, it takes me a long time to write. And so one of my intentions recently has been um, to be okay with my shitty first draft. And and by setting that intention, then it kind of takes the weight off of the expectation and it allows me to really just put it out there, whatever it is. It's not the final draft. Just be okay with my shitty first draft. And I find that 
really by setting that intention is what lifts the weight for me. And if I forget to set that intention at the beginning of my sessions, then I'll find myself just like struggling an hour later. I'm like, why is this feeling so hard today? And then it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't like set my intention this morning. And maybe for you, your intention is something completely different. But I do think that setting an intention in the beginning of a session can be really um, liberating and really empowering in a couple ways. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, when it comes to the body, I would say move your body before you sit down to write. Even if you prefer to write for th first thing in the morning, there are still ways that you can move your body before you sit down to write. Maybe it's just a couple yoga poses in your living room. Maybe it's taking the dog for a walk in the morning. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can choose to move your body. But if you go just straight from like sleeping all night to immediately sitting down in front of your computer or in front of your typewriter or whatnot, um, that is going to stagnate your energy. If you think about it from a really Chinese medicine perspective, um, when we're not moving, our blood's not flowing, our energy's not flowing, we're feeling stagnant. And in Chinese medicine, stagnation equals pain and suffering and depression. And if you think about writer's block, you literally think about there is a stagnant wall. There is something blocking your creative flow. And the best thing that you can do to remove that writer's block or that creative block is to move your body. So that would be the one thing. Like choose how you like to move it and do it. I love it. I love it. That's great. So tell, yeah. me, tell me your coffee thing before okay. I set you free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for me, like one of the things that I do every single day is – I love a good ritual. And for me, yes. one of my very favorite rituals is to sit down with a warm beverage first thing in the morning. I mean, I said I live in Minnesota. It's freaking cold here. And like a good hot cup of tea or a hot cup of coffee is like one of my very favorite things to do in the morning. Um, and I don't really drink coffee for a couple reasons. One, like I mentioned before, because I was diagnosed with a disease of the digestive system, I'm really sensitive to caffeine now, so I've tried removing that from my diet. Um, but another reason is because I find that caffeine gives me anxiety, and it makes that monkey mind like a wild orangutan. And <laughs> if I want to like be able to meditate and to set intentions and be really focused in my creative work, I can't have that wild animal running around in my brain doing circles. I need to be able to be calm and focused and intentional. And so for me to do that, I've had to remove caffeine from my diet. Um, and so I drink, but I love coffee. Like I miss coffee. I worked at a coffee shop like throughout my entire high school education, college education afterwards. Like I love coffee. So I, um, I had to find a really good coffee replacement that was completely caffeine free. Um, I currently drink this stuff called Dandy Blend. It is an instant herbal beverage made from roasted chicory root, roasted dandelion root, and I think there's a third ingredient. I forget. Um, it's gluten-free. It's like an instant coffee. But without the coffee, it just makes it with warm water. I really like it because I can also include a couple other things that help me with my digestion, which is acacia fiber and collagen powder. Um, and I can just mix those right in with my instant herbal beverage. And it tastes great and you don't even notice it's there. So that's what I do every morning. Um, although there are lots of other herbal coffee alternatives and some of them I like, some of them I don't, but this is the one that I drink. I like it. Have you tried the mushroom one? Yes. How do you feel about it? 
because I'm as curious far about as it. I remember because I only tried it once. I got a free sample of it somewhere. It was it did have coffee in it. It was like ah. instant coffee with some mushroom powder in it, and I think they added some like L-theanine or something to help um, mitigate the effects of caffeine when you take L-theanine with with caffeine it kind of like slows the i don't know if it slows the absorption rate of the caffeine or how it mitigates it but it does balance out the caffeine so you don't feel quite so jittery like some of those yogi brand teas that have um the energy ones they will have a little caffeine in it but then they also have l-theanine to help balance that so the mushroom one was fine like it didn't taste bad or anything it's just that it was still coffee and i was really trying to get away from that got it okay yeah i'm i'm gonna start exploring this i'm i enjoy a hot beverage odyssey so i think i'm gonna go on one we'll see how yeah. it goes yeah plus like i'm totally the person that if i drink an actual cup of coffee even like a decaf cup of coffee which has like still a little bit of caffeine in it if i drink that after like 5 p.m at night then there's no way that i'm getting a good night's rest which is really really important to me and so this way i can drink this stuff like at 10 p.m at night and have it be no problem when i want to go to bed nice all right we're putting links up yes thank you thank you so much for all this information and for helping us take care of ourselves so that we can keep creating because i want I want people in it for the long haul for their creative process. We don't want them to get really excited and then burn out and say, oh, forget that stuff. Yeah, start small, allow that snowball to roll down the hill and get bigger and bigger. Yep, and then we'll look forward to seeing what happens when you do. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. It was a delight. Thanks again, and remember to visit our sponsor, Pretty by Post, to check out their gorgeous indie card, greeting cards, or stationary subscriptions. Remember, you can visit prettybypost.com slash bookdoctor, that's book D-R, to learn how you can get free shipping on the lifetime of your subscription. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.